Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. We all can't help but wonder what adventure lies just over the next ridge. A Nissan Rogue, Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada will take you there. If you're taking on your adventure in a new 2024 Nissan Rogue, class-exclusive Google built-in is your always-updating assistant to call on for almost anything. Google Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store are built right into the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen infotainment system of the 2024 Nissan Rogue. Nissan's SUV has the capabilities to take you where you want to go. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. No surprise here, but you know I gotta have my devices when I travel. I would be lost without my smartphone. I use it for directions, to find things to do, and most importantly, where to eat. I rely on it as a digital music player to enhance my experience as I explore a new place. Oh, and sometimes I even use it to make calls and stuff. That's the kind of traveler I am. And if you travel, you know what kind you are, too. That's why you go with the Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card. If you travel, you know. There's plenty to celebrate in March. And ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Well, hello there. I almost didn't see you. Welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I'm an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as usual, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Hey there! <laughs> nice. You're going to get you. sued for that. No, that's just the tune. They can't get me. <laughs> I'm untouchable. Oh, okay. Um, All right. Well, you know... Don't take that as a challenge. Uh-huh. <laughs> Backtracking already. So today we're going to talk about a... Uh, it's interesting. We're going to talk about a company that, as Chris was saying before we started recording, a few months ago, we might call this like a eulogy for a company that is uh, on its way to, to crumbling to pieces. But now there's actually a new hope. <laughs> I'm wearing my Star Wars Lego shirt. Yes. I think that's where he got that from. Might, might be. Um, so, yeah, this is something that uh, people have brought up on a couple of occasions. And I, I don't know. We never really talked about it. I think maybe we haven't talked about it yet simply because it was kind of sad. Yeah, it's the story of Yahoo and and what it is, how it became what it is. And it's it's rocky, rocky past because this is one of those companies where – 
you know, there was a meteoric rise in this company and then a decline and then a sharper decline and then an, an era that was marked with lots of, of unpredictable change and uncertainty. Hmm. And now. Wait, what? Yeah. And in, in 2012, uh, just as things were really looking pretty grim, uh, there's now a little optimism. Yes. At least about the possibility that this company could find its its footing again, and um, it would helps if we actually just start at the very beginning and just kind of work our way to present day. I think. Yeah, yeah, and uh, uh, like with many of our tech stories, and that's been people and companies, um, there are these parallels, these weird, uncanny parallels that pop up. So and, and uh, not just parallels, but relationships as well. Yeah, it, it's funny because. Uh, on a, a podcast where we were talking about a couple other guys uh, in this similar role. We're going to start this story with two guys who met at Stanford University in California and started a major web property. Yeah. so But um, not that one, another one. Yeah. So one of those is David Philo mm-hmm. and the other is Jerry Young. And uh, <laughs> I really like the website's original name. Oh, yes. It was, uh, it was, what was it, Jerry and David's Guide to the World Wide Web? Yes. That's, uh, that's pretty, pretty snappy. Yeah. Well, they, they certainly wouldn't have been able to fit it in that jingle that you, uh, were yes. just so accurately singing. Yeah. That would have been very different. No, I was so off. I don't think I even hit a single note. I was just being nice. Oh, uh, thank you. Anyway. So yes, Young and Philo, uh, at the time were both in the PhD program at Stanford University. Electrical engineering. That's correct. And, uh, and they decided to start a personal project. They were both interested in the World Wide Web, which in 94 was still very, very young. Yes. You know, you got to remember that uh, 94, the web, in fact, was maybe what, like two years old, more or less. There wasn't much of the web back then. Because the the web and the internet, of course, are two different things. The web Mm -hmm. is built on top of the internet. So the web is just one way that we access the internet and use the internet. Well, so in 94, there were some interesting websites that were around and most of them were generated by either research facilities or students who were really interested in this new platform. There were a few companies that were kind of dipping their toe in the World Wide Web, but very few at this time. This was the, the era uh, where companies, if you, you walked into the a corporate headquarters of some major company and said, why don't you st- uh, start a site on the World Wide Web? You'll be one of the first. And they would go, First, what are you talking about? And second, why would we want why would to we, do that? Yeah, why would we ever spend the time and, and, and effort to do that? And what would we do there? Yeah. I mean, because, you know, internet commerce didn't exist yet, on at least as far as a World Wide Web entity. Yeah. Uh, but you started to see some stuff like the BBS culture, the, the bulletin board system culture kind yeah. of seep in and, and Usenet culture as well. So yeah. this idea of groups of people who had similar interests – forming communities online and building websites or at least a web page that represents that kind of interest. And uh, Young and Philo both found lots of websites really interesting. And then they started to kind of curate this for themselves. Originally, mm-hmm. it was just for them, just for the two of them, really. They were kind of creating these, these categories of websites that they thought were interesting. And as the web grew, as more people began to add content to the web, these categories got larger and larger, so they started to break them into subcategories mm-hmm. so that they could easily find content that related to specific interests. 
And then they realized that their friends also thought this was a really useful tool. So they began to roll this out as more of a, a, a service, an idea of the web is this potentially limitless frontier, mm-hmm. which means that all the content you could ever want could exist there. But mm-hmm. finding it is going to be tough. Yahoo, which is ultimately the name that they settled on, would be a service that would allow you to find content that's relevant to your interests and so that you don't have to just, you know, jump out into the World Wide Web and wander around aimlessly hoping that you find stuff that's relevant to you. Mm-hmm. Well, again, this was, um, you know, the, the search engines as we know them now didn't exist at that point. Right. So, um, this was, this was, uh, one of those things where it, it just, I think it just sort of seemed obvious to them that it was a, an opportunity. Um, so they dropped out of school. Yeah. Which is important to remember. Don't drop out of your PhD program, kids. Right. So, uh, <laughs> unless, unless you're going to become a multi-billionaire. Well, they did, they did take a $2 million investment. Well, and, and they, to start the they, company. they came up with the name Yahoo, which is technically an acronym. Is it? Yes. Do you know what it stands for? No. Yet another hierarchical officious oracle. Interesting. That's according to the Yahoo website, by the way. Oh, okay. I would not have, I would not have believed it had I not seen it on Yahoo itself. Okay. Well, that's, that's funny because I, I, uh, read that they were really excited about its definition. Yes. This is also true. They, 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 I think the acronym was kind of a retroactive sort of thing. They liked the word Yahoo in the sense of the definition of it being kind of an uncouth or rude type of person. Mm-hmm. As in, as in the phrase, Get a load of this Yahoo. Yeah. Serious. Yeah. Well, Yahoo I mean, serious. these, these, ha, 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 ha. yeah, these, uh, these guys were, uh, sort of informal. Well, I mean, it was the birth <laughs> of the web, was the birth of the web culture. And, and, so, yeah, you know, those early days of the web, people like, often who were will, these guys. They often equate the early days, they being people in general, mm-hmm. <laughs> being so vague. Some people refer to those early days of the web as like the 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 digital equivalent of the Wild West, like anything yeah. goes and no rules were defined yet, so anything was was possible. Well if I'm not mistaken, weren't weren't there uh titles the Chief Yahoo? Yes. And uh in, in ninety four they also uh before they before the company had really become a company uh, it existed essentially on their own personal machines. Yes. Uh, Young had his. His was named Akebono. <laughs> and uh, Philo's was called uh, Konoshiki. And both of these were named after sumo wrestlers. Of course. None of that is a joke. That is all true. This is, again, informing you behind of the, the personalities behind mm-hmm. Yahoo and what sort of, of – thing Yahoo started off as being versus what it would become because it had a very interesting evolution. It started off as this very quirky approach to curating information that's on the web. And I think that had a lot of appeal among people of around around the same age as Young and Philo and and younger, really, which – age of people that we think of as being really internet savvy and, and passionate about the internet. Uh, at the time, back in the early 90s. Um, so they start pushing Yahoo, and by the fall of 94, this is not even a full year, right? Mm, they started right. in 94. By the fall of 94, Yahoo had, had – uh, word of Yahoo had spread beyond Stanford. Yeah. And it had become something of 
a go-to site for lots of people. And in the fall of 94, they had their first million hit day. So It's impressive. Yeah, less than a year old in the early days of the web when most people don't even know what the web is. Mm-hmm. It had uh, its first day to hit over a million hits. Uh, that actually boils down to about 100,000 unique visitors. So that meant that people would go to Yahoo multiple times in a day. So uh, you know, a unique visitor is one person. That's that's who you that's a unique visitor, right? Right. Mm-hmm. But a unique visitor can generate multiple hits by visiting the page several times. Yes. Uh, so that's the difference between those two. So 100,000 people essentially generating a million hits on Yahoo within the first year of it being a thing. And in 1995, in March, uh, Yahoo made the step of incorporation. Mm-hmm. So it became an official company. That's when Young and Philo decided to uh, skedaddle from the world of academe. Yes. And uh, they also hired someone to uh, to be the CEO. Yes, because Young and Philo were not business guys. These guys were uh, electrical engineer students. Yeah. So they they said, you know, we need to get someone who knows the business side of running a corporation. We can handle technical stuff like crazy, but you know, when it comes down to actual business decisions, we should get someone who really knows what they're doing. And so they hired a guy named Tim Kugel. Mm-hmm. And uh he was someone who came from Motorola. He had worked at Motorola. He was also a graduate of Stanford. That will not be the last time we've heard the name of that academic institution before the end of this podcast. <laughs> and uh, and like Chris said, they did also secure $2 million in funding from Sequoia Capital. Which um, seems small by today's standards, but, uh, you know, that was – it was a new thing. So. Yeah, and the web was a young entity and uh, it was enough to get them going. They actually got a second round of funding in the fall of 95 um, and also they hired a guy named Jeffrey Mallet to be the chief operating officer and, and Mallet came from Novell. Uh, he was actually out of their consumer division for a little product called WordPerfect. I feel like I've heard of that somewhere. Man. Okay. Short tangent. Just a short tangent, people. WordPerfect is to this day my favorite word processing program I've ever used. Specifically, Word, well, WordPerfect 5.1 was great. WordPerfect 4.2 is what I cut my teeth on as far as word processing goes. It's sad to say that I still can remember the, the, the keyboard shortcuts to do things like bold and underline spell check and I have to stop myself from doing them whenever I'm using Word. Although I guess technically I think there is a way I can set it so that those old uh, keystrokes are the same. You know, you can actually do that with some versions of Word anyway. I don't dare do that for fear of becoming too dependent upon it. Yep. Anyway, tangent over. Okay then. So yeah, that that fall of '95, uh, they get their second round of funding. Things are looking pretty good for this young startup. I mean, again, it's it started in '94, '95 is looking up, uh, and in '96, I mean, this is lightning fast, really, when you compare it to some of the other uh, tech companies that are out there, like let's say Facebook, for example. '96, mm-hmm. April '96, they launch their IPO. Yep, the initial public offering. Uh, at that time, they had. 49 employees. And uh, when they launched the IPO, the stock price 
was valued at $13 a share. Now, Yahoo stock has had probably one of the most dramatic histories I've seen for a company that managed to survive some massive, massive problems. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, So remember, this company launches – well before the dot com bubble burst, right? Because that that happened in two thousand one. Well, I would say that um, Yahoo's meteoric rise probably was part of what built the tech the tech bubble in the first place. It, it definitely not helped, by itself. It definitely helped precipitate the bubble bursting because the valuation of Yahoo got out of hand uh, at its highest, from what I can tell. Uh, on January 3rd, 2000, stock was valued – remember, it launched at $13 a share. Uh, on January 3rd, 2000, it was valued at $118.75 a share. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And keep in mind also that Yahoo stock, I think, a split five times. Mm-hmm. So that also is something to keep in mind. But then the lowest it was valued – uh, came just a year later in 2001. So in 2000, at its highest, $118.75 a share. At its mm-hmm. lowest, $4.05 wow. in 2001. That's uh, obviously after the, the bubble burst, the dot-com bubble burst. And this company that was worth a huge amount of money saw that value escape in just a few months' time. Uh Currently, as of the recording of this podcast, which is in um, mid-August 2012, mm-hmm. it's valued at $14.99 per share. So over what its initial public offering was, but nowhere close to its peak. I mean, But post-splits. Post-splits, yeah, you have to figure that in too. But $100 less than at its peak is a big deal. Yeah. But, uh, but they were definitely – Jerry and David were definitely on to something because within two years of their you know, being engineering students, all of a sudden they were multimillionaires. Yes. Which so, is pretty cool. Yeah. You got to – you know, getting back to the, the mid-90s when this IPO goes out, yeah, they were – they were definitely riding high. I mean their their company was a success uh, and they continued to build on it. They weren't you know, just curating content. They started to add more services. Um, they created the Yahoo.com personalized homepage approach, the yeah. My Yahoo yeah. p- approach. So they, they sort of became one of the earliest portals because you'd get your news and your weather – Exactly. Based on where you were. Very good. Yeah. A portal being like, uh, you know, your, your snapshot view of what is going on on the web and in the world on any given day. Yeah. So, so go ahead. A, a portal, you know, like a door. So it was your door to the internet. Yeah. And this is very similar to what companies had been doing for a while. The, uh, you know, we talked about it in our, our other podcasts, things like AOL, what mm-hmm. AOL yeah. was doing. So you would get your, your connection to the internet through AOL and AOL would create this portal that was kind of, again, a snapshot as AOL saw it of what was going on in the web and in the world. And that was your initial introduction to the internet on any given day. And then you could explore on your own as much as you liked, but this was sort of a starting point. Well, that's the same thing Yahoo was doing. And it was seeing a lot of um, of early success with that. Yeah, the biggest the biggest difference here was that uh, AOL was still proprietary in its own network and not hooked up to the internet, while yeah. Yahoo was on the internet itself. Yeah, it was a it was so browser based as opposed to yeah. you know, computer based. Yes, and then uh, also 
they started to introduce something that would become incredibly influential on the web. One of the most uh, influential acts ever, I would say, which is that they really were pioneers with web advertising. Yes. They became a platform for web ads. And this is kind of the foundation for the way many companies make money using the web. I yes. mean, there, there, there are several different ways to generate revenue on the web. And some of it is involving like commerce, you know, essentially using the web as sort of a catalog, mm-hmm. the way you could argue Amazon does. Amazon also offers a lot of services that you can subscribe to either as a customer or as a corporate customer. Uh, they generate revenue that way as well. So they, it's not just through being sort of a, a retail or a catalog kind of approach. But web advertising is is a major way that companies make money on the internet. And Yahoo was again the really the pioneer in those early days of defining uh, what web advertising is. In fact, Yahoo would even eventually do studies that would help show a, a connection between web advertising and real world effects. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, showing that web advertising can have an effect in uh, guiding someone's consumer choices. Mm -hmm. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. No surprise here, but you know I gotta have my devices when I travel. I can't fly without my portable chargers and noise-canceling headphones keeping me immersed, and I'd be lost without my smartphone. In a new place, it's my connection to the familiar. I rely on it to get directions around town, I use my smartphone to look up things to do, or, most importantly, where to eat. In countries where I don't speak the language, my phone becomes a universal translator. And heck, it can double as a digital camera, giving me the opportunity to snap unforgettable pictures of the sights that inspire me and fill me with joy. That's the kind of traveler I am. And if you travel, you know what kind you are, too. That's why you go with the Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card. If you travel, you know. A spirit of adventure lives inside of us. Nissan's SUVs have the capabilities to transform your spirit of adventure into actual rubber-meets-the-road, into-the-wild, true-blue-real-life adventure. You just need a Nissan and a plan. Or better yet, just a Nissan. You can hop into a Nissan Rogue and discover what comes next. Don't worry, the Nissan Rogue has your back. Class-exclusive Google built-in is your always-updating assistant to call on for almost anything. Just climb in and go. No need to connect your phone. Google Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store are built right into the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen infotainment system of the new 2024 Nissan Rogue. No matter where you roam, you'll stay connected to home. Life is one huge adventure, and every day is a little one. 
No matter if the ride you're on is big or small, a Nissan Rogue, Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada can elevate your adventure and push your limits to something new. Your next adventure is waiting for you. Get in a Nissan SUV and go. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Well, they uh, they were very effective at creating content that would get people to the website. And it makes sense that, you know, you, you would be able to go up to a company who might want to advertise and say, look, I, I know for a fact I'm going to have... 50,000 people on this page because I get 50,000 people to visit this page every day. Yeah. And now you can advertise if you want on this page. If you want access to, at max, 100,000 eyes. Yes. Then, uh, yeah. But, and, and, and that was a powerful story mm-hmm. to say, look, we have the, we can tell you how many people looked at this. And if your ad is on this page, People will see it. Whereas if you put an ad in a magazine or on a billboard, you don't know if people, if their eyes ever even glanced across it. But we can tell you if they saw it or not because we know if they came to the page. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty powerful story. Yep. Not everyone bought into it immediately. No, it, it, it actually took some time to really get traction. But uh, once once there were some early success stories, that was – that the writing was on the wall that web advertising was going to be the future for generating revenue on the web. Well, within three years, by 1999, uh, the total market value of the company was more than a hundred billion dollars. Yeah. So it it made some waves. So so one year before that, in '98, they went ahead and established internet guides in Chinese and in Spanish. So mm-hmm. it becomes a global entity. And in fact, we're going to have some interesting discussion about China in a little bit. But, yeah. Uh, in 99, like like Chris was saying, the valuation of the company was over $100 billion. That was also the year that Yahoo made two major acquisitions. I think we both of these were in our podcast about some of the bad deals that have happened. Yeah. Uh, one of them was uh, GeoCities, which seemed like a brilliant idea at the time because that's where a lot of people had built homepages. Yeah. And that was kind of the early – Days of when people would create a digital presence on the web. This is before blogging. It's before anything yep. like Tumblr or social networks. Yep. So at the time, that was kind of how people thought, oh, well, if I want to create something that's about me, I have to have a website. Yeah. Uh, nowadays, that's not the case. People use other platforms and then they yeah. you know, talk about themselves at length that way. <laughs> if you want to hear about me, follow me at John Strickland, Twitter. There you go. Um, because I'll talk about myself all day long. Uh, they also bought another company, and yeah. this was probably – I think this w- this topped our list of bad deals. Oh, yes. Which was Broadcast.com. Now, Yahoo has a history of looking at ways of marrying other form of media with the web or getting into businesses that are beyond just – curating content for the web or even generating content, and that uh, included Broadcast.com. Now, this acquisition did do something. Uh, It made Mark Cuban a billionaire. I was going to say it affected the sports 
<laughs> the sports world yeah. substantially because it gave Mark Cuban enough money to buy teams and get yeah. himself fined for ridiculous it Gave amounts. money to a real maverick. Oh. And then a lot of other mavericks too. Um, yeah. The, uh, the, but, but broadcast, you know, Yahoo ultimately was not really able to do much with broadcast. It did absorb some of the technology that broadcast had developed into other parts of Yahoo. Mm-hmm. But broadcast.com itself and the identity it had created ceased to be before much longer. And it, it, a lot of people cite the Yahoo broadcast deal as one of the most short-sighted, uh, unwise deals, especially when you look at how many users were uh, subscribed essentially to broadcast.com because it was one of those deals where the amount of money paid per user was astronomical. Mm-hmm. Like it would have been cheaper to just go to every single person who had ever visited broadcast.com and give them a check for $1,000. That would have been <laughs> less expensive than buying broadcast for what they did. Uh, so yeah, that 99 definitely had a couple of questionable acquisitions in it. Although again, really we have the benefit of hindsight. At the time, sure. there was, it there didn't were, seem quite so silly. Yeah, at the time. 99, again, this is when the bubble's still inflating. Right, the bubble has not burst yet. People just thought that the web was limitless as far as not just not just for content, but for the possibility of making money, mm-hmm. and that you know no one really knew where the web was going, but everyone was really excited. So, in hindsight, we could say like, "Whoops, bad idea," but at the time, no way of knowing. Well, Yahoo actually sort of gave rise to another. Similar, but not exactly the same type of website. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you're talking about something, a meeting that happened in 2000, aren't you? Well, yes, but I was kind of going to preface that meeting by by saying um, people would visit Yahoo to find other websites. Yes. As a matter of fact, for a while, they had a a print magazine, Yahoo Internet Life. I remember it. You used to be able to see it on the the newsstand, Uh, you know, my, as my father got into, uh, uh, getting online, he was a subscriber, so he could find websites, um, and uh, and that was that was kind of interesting. One of the nice things about doing things the way Yahoo did was it was done primarily by hand. I mean, people would actually go online, see what something was about, maybe give it a little write up. Hey, visited this website; it's kind of neat. You can do this and that and the other thing on it. Uh, but you know, the, doing that by hand is time consuming, and this is when we started talking about the search engine. Um, which would use primarily software. Uh, there were lots of them around that time, like uh, AltaVista and HotBot and um, another site started by two guys who met at Stanford University. Yeah, a site that rhymes with Schmoogle. Yes, or, or Kugel. Or Kugel, yeah. Yeah, I, that, so, that wasn't lost on me either. So, yeah, <laughs> One Google, letter off. Yeah. Uh, Page and Bren, Larry Page and Sergey Bren, um, so yeah, they started after Yahoo did. But yeah, they, were, they started after Yahoo did, and they took a different approach. Yahoo was all about curating data, yes, uh, curating websites and and kind of categorizing stuff. Google was a different sort of search engine where mm-hmm. it was you know you told Google what it was you were looking for, it crawled the web and gave you the results that uh, that according to its algorithm were the most relevant to your search. Yes, and. Um, there wasn't really human curation going on. It would just tell you whether or not what you were, you found was relevant to what you looked for. Right. And Page and Bren had approached Yahoo for uh, with a request for some 
cash infusions early on in the days of Google. That was one of the different companies that they approached to try and get a little bit of support when they were doing their early work. And in 2000, Yahoo made an interesting decision. They decided to they, – they, they saw the power of Google's search algorithm. Yes. You know, and, and they admired it. And so Yahoo paid a licensing fee to Google for an agreement, a deal that would last four years that would allow Yahoo to use Google's search algorithm on Yahoo's site. So beyond just curating content for people, by people – they would also use Google search algorithm to search the web for other content that wasn't necessarily something that a human being had curated for you. And um, it, was a, it was a, in hindsight, kind of a brilliant decision in a way because it, it, it gave them the power of Google's search and that augmented their human cura- curated content and theoretically would bring more people to Yahoo. The only problem was that people started to realize that this – Google-powered search engine was exactly what they wanted, and some people began to just bypass Yahoo entirely, go straight to Google. Google was such a different experience because Yahoo, again, is a portal, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you've got this this busy is the wrong word, but elaborate web presentation that has lots of different elements to it. Google, we're all familiar with Google's homepage. It is stripped down. It is just the bare necessities. Not unattractive, but not cluttered in any, any way or or there's no extraneous information. There's it's a functional. search bar, there's a logo, and there's just a little bit of text, and that's it. Yeah, it's functional. So people would start to bypass Yahoo, go straight to Google and say, well, you know, I could just go here and find what I need. I remember these days. All right, I remember, yeah. I remember the days when – uh, I distinctly remember when I was part of a message board. Actually, it was the Snopes message board. I've been on Snopes forever. Uh, but I remember people on Snopes saying, you know what? This Google search engine is so much faster and so much more comprehensive than anything else out there. That's what I use. And that's what got me interested in using Google. And that's, uh, I mean, I, I very much agreed. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. No surprise here, but you know I gotta have my devices when I travel. I can't fly without my portable chargers and noise-canceling headphones keeping me immersed. And I'd be lost without my smartphone. In a new place, it's my connection to the familiar. I rely on it to get directions around town. I use my smartphone to look up things to do or, most importantly, where to eat. In countries where I don't speak the language, my phone becomes a universal translator. And heck, it can double as a digital camera, giving me the opportunity to snap unforgettable pictures of the sights that inspire me and fill me with joy. That's the kind of traveler I am. And if you travel, you know what kind you are, too. 
That's why you go with the Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card. If you travel, you know. A spirit of adventure lives inside of us. Nissan's SUVs have the capabilities to transform your spirit of adventure into actual rubber-meets-the-road, into-the-wild, true blue real-life adventure. You just need a Nissan and a plan. Or better yet, just a Nissan. You can hop into a Nissan Rogue and discover what comes next. Don't worry, the Nissan Rogue has your back. Class-exclusive Google built-in is your always-updating assistant to call on for almost anything. Just climb in and go. No need to connect your phone. Google Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store are built right into the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen infotainment system of the new 2024 Nissan Rogue. No matter where you roam, you'll stay connected to home. Life is one huge adventure, and every day is a little one. No matter if the ride you're on is big or small, a Nissan Rogue, Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada can elevate your adventure and push your limits to something new. Your next adventure is waiting for you. Get in a Nissan SUV and go. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. And so Yahoo's decision to license this technology may also have hurt Yahoo in the long run because people began to discover Google when otherwise they may never have heard of it. Mm-hmm. And um, also, it, Yahoo had sort of created a monster. Yahoo had sort of, a, you know, they had been a pioneer in the web advertising space. Google showed a, a fair amount of innovation in that space mm-hmm. uh, and would dominate it in such a way as to frighten everybody else for the rest of time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's phenomenal what Google did. Google looked at what Yahoo was doing and said, let's apply the same logic we did with our algorithm for search and create a tool that's going to give people who want to advertise on the web way more information and control and and analytics than they've ever had before. And we're going to do it better than anyone else. And that's, you know, they, you can argue how successful they were in accomplishing that goal, but they definitely saw results. I, for one thing, just Google AdWords, they could tell you, hey, you know, we ran this ad and we found out that if we ran the ad using this word as the trigger as opposed to this word as the trigger, we had a 78% increase in success. Mm-hmm. Like, you're like, how did you, that's, that's insane amount of control for an ad. Yeah. You know, you've gotten down to the granular, granular level of control where you can scientifically engineer the most powerful ad possible using the material you have. That's a, that's a story that's, Incredibly powerful. Anyway, so Yahoo ends up giving this boost to Google because they licensed the technology. That will end up hurting them in the long run. Yeah. A smart move that turns out to be a dumb one as well. In 2001, that's when the um, that's when the bottom fell out. That's the bubble burst. That's when that stock price plummeted from its all-time high to its all-time low. Mm-hmm. I, I had forgotten, too, that uh, before the bubble really had uh, burst terribly, that Yahoo – really kind of had a chance to get eBay 
Yes. But didn't. Yes. Actually, there's a lot of stories about Yahoo having a chance to do something but not doing it. They Well, that was when they didn't purchase eBay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's going to be some more didn'ts uh, down the line. But there's uh, also – at that point, so the, the valuation of the company went from over $100 billion to around $10 billion. Wow. That's yeah. enough. Okay. That's still quite a bit of money. Yeah. But yeah, still, they, it's a huge drop. I mean, shareholders, not happy. Well, the uh, the companies that didn't survive the dot-com crash, by and large, had poor business models. Yeah. They weren't, they weren't really based in reality. And Yahoo, I mean, advertising was, is pretty well based in reality. You know, yeah. they, they weren't really suffering. They, yeah, that hurts, losing, a, you know, nine-tenths of your value, but... And it definitely, it it shook shareholder confidence oh, sure. severely to the point where uh, Google ends up resigning. Yeah, and I mean that's not a big surprise. You're talking about such an an incredible drop that it would have been amazing had the CEO not resigned. Yeah, uh, and a new CEO steps in, Terry Semmel, mm-hmm. who was uh, came from a totally different world. He did not come from uh, the world of the web or technology. He came from the world of Hollywood. Um, he uh, was a, a co-CEO, which you know you don't hear that too frequently. Who's a co-CEO and chairman of a little uh, little media company called Warner Brothers, but not the Warner sister dot. Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. So he was a co-CEO of Warner Brothers. He comes on as the new CEO for Yahoo. Uh, Yahoo also acquires a company called Hot Jobs. I remember that. Yeah. Sort of a – A monster. Um, yeah. It's an online job posting service where you could search for jobs – uh, and and post jobs online, um, so yeah, this was uh, Simmel. There were a lot, there was a lot of speculation and a lot of skepticism that he would be able to effectively lead a company when he himself was admittedly not from uh, the technological world. In fact, uh, there were stories about how he w- didn't use email. I mean, he was just not a technology guy, but he did have. An understanding of how businesses work. Now that was not always, it was not always in a successful endeavor with Yahoo, but he did manage to turn Yahoo around from this, 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 uh, rock bottom level that they had hit after mm. the bubble burst and he made, managed to keep it afloat. And so in 2002, he had a meeting with these, those, those two upstarts who were running Google, the company that, uh, was, furnishing the search algorithm that Yahoo was using. And in 2002 yeah, they were, Google. Yeah, they were talking at the that time about the possibility of an acquisition and how different would the world be mm-hmm. if Yahoo had acquired Google at that time. I mean, it's it's hard to think about because think about all the stuff Google does that's well beyond just search engines. And if Yahoo had acquired Google, would that corporate culture have existed would we have I, would we have a driverless car made by google would we have you know google glasses project glass yeah i mean not to mention just all the other stuff that google does google docs and gmail i mean a lot of the stuff would probably have been uh created at yahoo in some form or another but it definitely would have taken a different path well 
Bryn and Page could not come to any agreement with Semmel. Uh, and that was partially because it was really hard to value Google. Yeah. Uh, and it all depends on who you ask how much money was offered. I heard $1 billion, but then Page and Bryn asked for $3 billion. I also heard that there was a $3 billion offer, but Page and Bryn then said $5 billion. So it almost sounds like Page and Bryn kind of just didn't want to sell. Like They felt that that, was, that might be the wrong choice. And then there's also the argument of maybe they were just trying to feel out how much their company was worth. I don't know the, all the details. And um, in fact, a lot of the information I found what conflicted with other information I mm-hmm. found. So yeah. it's just speculation on my part at this point. But ultimately, Yahoo did not purchase Google. And I know there was an entire article in Wired that said that that was the biggest mistake that Semmel made throughout his tenure at Yahoo, was that he did not jump on the chance of acquiring Google because Google continued to grow in popularity and, in fact, would ultimately dominate web search and Yahoo's share of the web search market would start to shrink as Google's began to be the entire, you know, the, the vast majority of web search. Mm-hmm. The, all the other little web search engines out there were reduced to, to just the tiniest user bases in comparison. At least in the United States. Yeah. Yeah. In the United States, that's a good qualifier in the United States. You know, uh, occasionally we, believe it or not, we, we go on a little long about subjects, and I, I, I think that Say sort of was not so. <laughs> and that actually was the case with uh, this episode on Yahoo. We ended up uh, with so much material that we ended up splitting it into two episodes, um, which we didn't know at the time. So surprise, yeah. But um, yeah, so we're we're going to wrap it up here, and uh, and uh, you can tune in for our second episode on on Yahoo in the two thousands. Um, so, uh, so make sure to tune in for that. Yeah. And if you have any suggestions for future topics that Chris and I should tackle in other episodes of tech stuff, perhaps other topics so large that after <laughs> we record it, we realize that's too long for any human being to endure. Let's split that up again. Let us know. You can send us a message on uh, Facebook or Twitter. Our handle there is tech stuff HSW or shoot us an email. Our address is tech stuff at discovery.com. And Chris and I will talk to you again. <laughs> about Yahoo, as it turns out, really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. We all can't help but wonder what adventure lies just over the next ridge. 
a Nissan Rogue, Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada will take you there. If you're taking on your adventure in a new 2024 Nissan Rogue, class-exclusive Google built-in is your always-updating assistant to call on for almost anything. Google Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store are built right into the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen infotainment system of the 2024 Nissan Rogue. Nissan's SUV has the capabilities to take you where you want to go. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Smart journalism. Fascinating topics. Words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. We are revisiting the public school culture wars. What have we learned from the kids who fought against book bans? We really started the club to get students reading these books. Students have an opinion in this fight, too. How has the war over books sparked a backlash to the so-called parents' rights movement? It's not okay what they're doing, and they're being watched. Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish. Streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. 